0: What is up? And welcome back to Beyond the Ark with Brandon Silvers. As always, I am your host, Brandon Silvers. Do you know what time it is? Yeah, yeah, it is time to subscribe, rate, review and share. But actually, what I'm talking about is it's time for the second annual Beyond the Ark with Brandon Silvers NBA Preview. I reviewed the tape of last year's preview so I can be even better at this because you know that's what I do no need to thank me and I realize that there's one way to do this that's better than all the rest more reliable more scientific more accurate all that and that's using what we in the business call the eye test that's right I'm gonna break down each team splitting the videos up by division using what my eyeballs tell me What do I love? What do I hate? And most importantly, could they possibly see an NBA title this season? So let's get into it. All right, let's talk about the Southwest Division, starting with the Dallas Mavericks. Let's just forget about last season, shall? We went a disappointing 38 and 44 and missed the playoffs and the play in a year after reaching the Western Conference Finals. Jason Kidd is still the head coach here. Vegas is expecting them to be a little bit better and set the over under at 45 and a half. What do I love? We'll start with the obvious. Are there more than three duos in the league who can do all that Luka and Kyrie can do offensively? Kyrie is probably the best ball handler in the history of the game. What's the most recent decade you think you could drop him in a game that would end up with him being burned at the stake for being a witch? Probably the 70s, I think. Imagine him playing any time before that. Bob Cousy would have quit and become a door-to-door children's cigarette salesman if he had to guard him. He automatically became Luka's best teammate ever when the. Mavs traded for him in the middle of last year. Not a high bar to clear old Kristaps Porzingis, but Kyrie is a legitimate number two option on a championship team, we've seen it before. He played 20 games after the trade and averaged 27, five and six on absurd 51, 39 and 95 shooting splits. He can dribble, he can shoot, he can finish at the rim. He's got a layup package that rivals his handles and he's able to operate as that number two guy. And he's going to be the number two guy here because of Luka Doncic. What is there to explain? He took his scoring to another level and averaged 32, nine and eight last year. He's been the guy on this team since he got here. He's been first team all NBA every year except for his rookie season. He hasn't had a ton of help, like I said, but maybe just maybe they're trying to change that. In addition to bringing over Kyrie last year and re-signing him over the summer, they also bring back Seth Curry after he went a couple of other places. To give you an idea of how great of a shooter he is, he hit nearly 41% of his threes last year and it brought his career percentage down. They bring in rookies Olivier Maxence Prosper, who has an awesome name, and shot up draft boards thanks to his length, athleticism, work ethic, and attitude, along with Derek Lively, who is a 7-1 rim runner, who should start, and who they hope can be their defensive anchor like Tyson Chandler was back in the day. Grant Williams, in his infamous Batman costume and fire hydrant body, also came over from the Celtics in a sign and trade. That's a lot of interesting pieces, many of whom should help with weaknesses they had last year, namely defense, and you get more time to develop this Luka-Kyrie pairing and see what they can do. So what do I hate? Quick layup here, but they brought in a Morris twin. I don't know which one and I don't care because I hate them both. Fake tough guys who can't hoop. Remember when they were gonna get Jokic for messing up one of their necks after a cheap shot? What happened with that? He's out here trotting around on his horses and winning championships completely unbothered. Moving on, what is Grant Williams's skill? Is it just being strong and hitting people? Halloween costumes, maybe? Celtic players get overhyped and the Mavs bought in hook, line, and sinker. Congratulations. All right, I'm warmed up now, let's really get into it. Kyrie is a certified ding dong, plain and simple. He's the NBA equivalent of Aaron Rodgers, except his family still seems to like him. He thinks he's the smartest person in every room he's in. He's a martyr without a cause who might take off work for a couple weeks to throw himself a birthday party. He's as unreliable and chaotic as he is gifted. Will he show up and drop 30? Will he get hurt and miss a couple weeks? And you gotta be holding your breath as a Mavs fan with everything going on in the Middle East. What's most frustrating is that he Gets his act together when he needs to when he was trying to get paid last summer he showed up to the Mavs and he just hooped didn't talk about how Hans Landa was his favorite character in *Inglorious Bastards but now he got his contract so who knows on top of all that he's a bad defender speaking of bad defenders it is time to hop on the Luca hate train look as great as he is he's also helped put a ceiling on the amount of success the mavs have had and he will continue to do so until he makes major changes to his game to say that the mavericks offense has been centered around luca is like saying that the ocean is centered around water luca is the mavericks offense there is no player in the league who is more ball dominant he hasn't had a usage rate below 36 percent since his rookie season last year it was a career high 37.6 percent and that's with him playing 16 of 66 games with his new best teammate ever of the players in the top 75 highest single season usage rates on record only one of them won an nba championship that same year michael jordan luca is not Michael Jordan. He's closer to Houston Rockets' James Harden, except worse. That's right. Even the advanced stats back me up on this. Looking at Luca's four-year All NBA run he's currently on versus James Harden's eight full seasons with the Rockets is obvious. Luca's win shares per forty-eight range from 0.159 to 0.207, where Harden's lowest was a 0.204 and got as high as 0.289. Houston Harden was a better three-point shooter on more volume, a much better free throw shooter, better at drawing fouls, a better passer, a comparable defender, probably a better defender when you consider how many times Lucas stays back to whine and argue with the ref so he can catch his breath because he's never come into a season in great cardio shape. This is the exact same move old guys pull during pickup basketball where they argue the score or a call for 10 minutes just because they're absolutely gassed except Luca is 24 years old. He goes one on five on offense so his teammates can go four on five on defense. At least when Harden did stuff like this, we'd at least get some comedy out of it. An overly dramatic flop here, a lazy ass defensive possession where he doesn't move there. Maybe he hit himself in the face with the ball every so often for good measure. Houston Harden did it all better, and Houston's best season with him was when he played alongside a guard who likes to have the ball in Chris Paul. They won 65 games and should have beaten the Warriors, but we all remember 0 for 27. The Luka Kyrie experiment looked incredibly clunky the time they did play together, and it wasn't a Kyrie issue. If Luka cannot figure out how to play off the ball on offense and actually make cuts and not just stand there, then Dallas will not win a damn thing. Okay, but let's focus on this year. What? does their eye test tell me about them? Well, as you may have guessed, no championship in sight for them this season. We need to see a healthy and reliable Kyrie and a healthy and improved Luca first, and they still need more talent everywhere else. So go ahead and get your prescription glasses, and I'm gonna toss in an eye patch for Kyrie's third eye as well. On the bright side, I do think they get back to the playoffs this year. Luca's current playing style does limit their ceiling, but he's also a floor raiser, so they can only be so bad, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them win a series too. All right, moving on to the Houston Rockets. Well, that was a mess, 22 and 60 last year, which was mercifully the end for Steven Silas, who deserves so much better. Ime Udoka is the coach here now, and I'm contractually obligated to tell you that I was a ball boy with the Charleston Logators when he played for them. I'm morally obligated to tell you that Vegas has set the over under for them at 31 and a half wins, and I merely feel obligated to tell you what I love about them. If you're looking for young, intriguing talent, This is the team for you. Can I interest you in a 21 year old European big man who averaged 15, 9, and 4 last year? Who has drawn comparisons to Nikola Jogic for his big man passing skills by the name of Alperin Shingun? how about a 21-year-old Devin Booker type player who put up 24-4-4 last year by the name of Jalen Green? Or maybe a high-motor, ready, willing, and capable defender who is a great finisher on the offensive end Intari Eason. Look, Jabari Smith looked nothing like the player he was at Auburn when it felt like he was automatic from three and could score at will, but he finished the season looking better and you have to figure that his shot will come back at some point. We're so quick to call players bust these days. I love a hot take as much as the next guy and Jabari looked absolutely awful for long stretches last year, but this is what development looks like. The guys who come in and set the league on fire are the outliers and not the Jabari Smiths, especially considering the situation he was expected to learn and develop in last year with this team. They were essentially a glorified AAU team, but not one of the ones with a shoe deal, more like the one where someone's uncle is the coach and they wear reversible jerseys. They addressed that this off by bringing in Ime, who has the off court judgment of that uncle who coaches the AAU team, but got the Celtics to the finals in his first year as a head coach and became known for holding his players accountable particularly his young stars. To me, the biggest winner of this is Jalen Green, who badly needs this if he's going to develop into a winning basketball player. The team as a whole sorely needed veteran locker room leaders last year, and they solved that by bringing in Jeff Green, Fred Van Vliet, and Reggie Bullock. Fred is obviously the best player of that group, and he's also going to allow Jalen to play off the ball more where I think he's best. So what do I hate? Is there another organization you trust less? with young talent. How do you let an NBA team get run like a shitty AAU squad in the first place? You know it's bad when I was actually shocked they told Kevin Porter Jr. to stay away. If Tillman Fertitta had any shame, he'd sell the team. Even the way they've tried to fix their issues are half-assed. Let's bring in a coach who is great with young talent and also might bang someone who works with a team who's also a coworker's wife. Oh, we don't play defense. Well, let's bring in someone who does, who's available to show the kids how to D up while also acting like a complete jackass. Oh, welcome Dylan Brooks, this guy, For those of you thinking he just needed a change of scenery he's already been kicked out of a preseason game for punching someone in the dick this is a dude who really morphed into this evil villain type character in his mind because he didn't appear to intimidate anybody on the court or off it, shout out to Shannon Sharp. And I don't really know how, but I do know he's too far gone to turn back. The only thing worse than someone acting like the bullies who stole Max Dennison's shoes in Hocus Pocus is someone who does that and then turns around and whines that people are too mean to him. How are you surprised when you act like he acts that you get laughed out of crypto.com arena when everyone sees how scared you are and you play like you're literally pooping your pants on the court? 24% on threes in the playoffs last year if you've seen him shoot you know why good thing he still managed to shoot seven of them a game even with a full diaper also those weren't highly contested threes either the game plan was let Dylan Brooks shoot all he wants and he still couldn't hit him speaking of missing threes you had to sign Fred, I get it. And he's got a great story, undrafted guy who turned himself into an all-star and won a championship, that's probably a better Disney movie than whatever Giannis put out with his brothers. But we've seen him as the man on a team and that leads to brick after brick after brick. The kids better develop quick, fast, and in a hurry because if Fred is your best player, then you need several miracles if you wanna see the playoffs. Speaking of that, let's talk eye test. Well, the news isn't good, but it also isn't surprising. You won't be seeing a championship this year, too much youth, not enough talent, and we won't even talk about your coach's wandering eye. This year should just be about developing the young guys, seeing what you have, and trying to play competitive basketball, which you should do because your first round pick is gone unless it's in the top four. It's time to end the tank because you can only develop young talent so much playing in non-competitive games. This is a team that badly needs to see how these guys look trying to play winning basketball. And guess what? You have enough guys who are young and whose skill sets overlap that you should be able to put together a nice package to bring in even more help with the holes you have. But for now, this is a team that needs prescription binoculars to see an NBA title. How about the Memphis Grizzlies? Last year was certainly something. 51 and 31 in the regular season before getting upset in the first round by the Lakers. Taylor Jenkins' crew over under is set at 45 and a half by the good people in Vegas. What do I love about him? I just talked about him, so he's fresh on my mind, but no more Dylan Brooks is a hell of a start. That guy was the worst. The worst. Worst addition by subtraction. Desmond Bain is one of the best shooters in the league. Admittedly, I don't understand his proportions. He appears to have little to no upper arm while also having the biggest biceps in the league. These two ideas, cannot coexist because as we all know, the bicep is in the upper arm. The shit is just crazy. Those T-Rex arms can shoot the hell out of the ball though. And he'll get the chance to be the number one option for 25 games, so we'll really get an idea of what he can do. He looked great before hurting his toe last year, starting the season averaging 25-5 and five on 45% from three. Is that what he's going to look like long-term if he's healthy? Shooting is his best skill, but he can actually do a lot of other things. Great court vision for his position. He defends to the best of his abilities despite his physical limitations. He's a solid rebounder, handles a little bit shaky, but he's a better all around player than he gets credit for, and he should get a chance to showcase all of that this year. Luke Kennard is one of the best shooters in the league. He should actually shoot the ball more. He made 54% of his threes after getting to Memphis for the last 24 games of the season, and he's a 44% three point shooter for his career. You obviously can't talk about the Grizzlies without talking about South Carolina native Ja Morant. Feel like I've spoken a lot about whatever it is he's doing off the court and how he needs to get it together. He basically forced the league to suspend him 25 games for being a habitual line stepper. There's really nothing new I have to say about his off the court behavior. I was happy to see T talking to campers over the summer about Ja's actions, basically saying that Ja is the one who got Ja in trouble. The dynamic that we see between them is fun when things are going great, but also makes you wonder, especially with everything that's gone on, if t is able to hold ja accountable at least as accountable as you can hold a grown man but i mean he's still his dad so him coming out and giving that talk to those campers gave me hope for ja it feels so rare to have someone mess up these days and have those close to them acknowledge that yeah they messed up so this was refreshing hopefully the work is being put in privately as well the league doesn't need ja morant to be great as a fan i don't need ja morant to be great but I badly want him to be. He's one of the most exciting players in the NBA, a YouTube mixtape that doesn't need to be edited, and he can be a true superstar. I want that for him. It's fun to make jokes. I've made plenty myself and will probably make more at some point, but the path he could be headed down with the stuff he's messing around with is a dark and frankly deadly one. It makes these issues even bigger than will Ja fulfill his NBA potential or will he be out of the league or how is this behavior going to affect the Grizzlies? least title hopes, is potentially life or death, so I hope he figures it out for that reason alone. Speaking of Ja, they also brought in Derek Rose to act as sort of a ghost of Christmas future type to warn him of the risk of trying 17 dunks from outside the dotted line each game. For nostalgia purposes, I'm interested to see how much they play him during Ja's suspension and how much he has left in the tank. Alright, what do I hate about this team? I have to start with Brandon Clark's Achilles. He had to have another procedure on it and might miss the whole season, which is bullshit because he's one of my favorite sixth men in the league every time he's in the game it feels like he gets every important rebound and never misses a shot him being out doesn't hurt them as much as ja obviously but i do think his absence over the entirety of the season could impact them more than ja just being out 25 games and i'm guessing they thought oh this will be a great time to develop kenneth lofton but then he showed up weighing 300 pounds this team seriously needs a mentor program because what is going on Now, this deep into a Memphis Grizzlies preview, you're probably thinking, hey, why hasn't he talked about last year's Defensive Player of the Year, Jaron Jackson Jr.? Well, the answer is simple. I hate him. Not him, the person, but certainly his playing style. He can actually score on drives and in the post, but would rather be the next Carl Anthony Towns. Go watch the Northwest Division preview if you have any questions about my thoughts on him. Fun fact, one of the rarest phrases in the English language is, and Jaron Jackson gets the offensive rebound. Some say the only time you'll hear it is when one of his ill-advised threes bricks hard enough to bounce back to him at half court. Defensively, he's overrated. Great block numbers, just like Hassan Whiteside. Do they make up for the fact how they take him out of position for defensive rebounds, or how often he goes for him and ends up sending the shooter to the foul line, or how he's often not playing because of foul trouble? Have you ever seen a player pick up dumber fouls more consistently? No you have not. Having one fraudulent defensive player of the year wasn't enough, so Marcus Smart is here now too, the first man to ever flop and dive his way to the award. This is a man who loves playing defense so much that he quickly gives the ball to the other team when he's on offense. He's basically Kyle Lowry with a better diet and will take over the Dylan Brooks role on this team all the way down to absolutely awful shooting at the worst times possible and being the most hated everywhere he goes. The senior in Xavier Tillman Sr is merely a description of his face. This man is 24 years old and looks like Colonel Bradford from a different world. Okay, that's enough. Time for the results of the eye test. Do the Grizzlies have 2024 championship vision? Now. And what's sad is it's entirely their own fault they need glasses in the first place. Just standing out there staring up at the sun. They're stuck in this infinite loop of just living out the same season over and over again. Fun, exciting, regular season. Job ja misses some time due to injury and or stupidity. They withstand his absence relatively well and get a top four seed in the West. Then they completely fall apart in an embarrassing fashion in the playoffs. I don't even think they get a top four seed this year would they do to improve last year's roster other than letting dylan brooks walk it feels like they're just hoping their young talent collectively takes a step forward which isn't a plan for a team that wants to contend for a title they're not that far away from being a top team in the west but certainly not this year again They'll be fun to watch when Ja gets back, but we'll be lucky to avoid the play-in since it's going to be harder to withstand his absence with Marcus Smart instead of Tyus Jones. Let's talk about the New Orleans Pelicans, another team full of talent built around a South Carolinian who is completely unreliable. 42 and 40 last season under Willie Green and lost in the play-in. Vegas set this year's over/under at 44 and a half big talent bigger questions let's talk about what i love about him i've seen some pelicans fans upset or impatient with willie green but i actually think he's underrated with all of the ridiculousness and injuries he's had to deal with it says a lot that he's had this team as competitive as they've been should his staff have veterans on it who can help him develop as the head coach and make up for some of the weaknesses he has absolutely people smarter than me like nikias and steve on the dunker spot Think the James Borrego hire could be just that, so stay tuned. But how many other coaches in this league would be able to withstand all of this? The injuries and missed time is just a killer. I know it's a killer, because this is one of the better put together rosters in the NBA if everyone is available to play. They have almost everything you'd want to have on a championship roster. I've spent a lot of these previews talking about lack of defense, but they have a bunch of guys who take pride in defending. Jose Alvarado and Herb Jones in particular, make watching defense fun. This is one of the better defensive teams in the league when all their pieces are playing and healthy. They have a big man in Jonas Valanciunas who can score, rebound, and make life difficult in the post on both ends of the court and he stays healthy. They have a KD type scorer in Brandon Ingram, who they pair with another all-star perimeter scorer in CJ McCollum. They've got young talent in Trey Murphy, Dyson Daniels, and rookie Jordan Hawkins. More importantly, on top of all that, they have an MVP level franchise talent in Zion Williamson. There are only a handful of players who are as impactful on offense as a healthy Zion. He's Giannis-like in his ability to make up his mind that he's getting to the hoop, and there's just nothing you can do to stop it from happening outside of fouling him. He's an explosive scorer, he can rebound, he passes the ball, he has enough of a jump shot that you just can't not guard him on the perimeter. He's must-see TV when he plays and makes the Pelicans look like one of the best teams in the West. They were 23 and 14 when he went down last year. That's a 54-win team over an 82-game season that would have gotten them the one seed in the West last year. In theory, that's what should happen this year. You should get a motivated Zion, one who is tired of getting shaded by his teammates in public for his lack of commitment, One who's fed up with the fat jokes, one who's had enough of being labeled a bust due to injuries. He should come out in the best shape of his career having taken this offseason to approach his game, his diet, his health like a true professional for the first time ever. We should see the dominant Zion we've gotten flashes of for a full season as he leads this team to their best season in years and nobody believes it'll happen. So here we are at the things I hate about this team and you have to start with Zion. We all think we'd be true dedicated professionals if someone gave us hundreds of millions of dollars to play basketball and live in New Orleans when really most people would eat their body weight and beignets and bang as many OnlyFans models as possible. Turns out Zion is most people. So the Pelicans live with the curse of having a player most franchises could only dream of, whose talent is only outweighed by his unreliability. As a result, they're stuck in neutral. In four seasons, Zion has played fewer than 30 games in a season, more times than he's played more than 60, including missing the entire 2021-22 season. How much of his injuries are related to being overweight? How much of them are related to just not having the body needed to compete night in and night out for 60, 70, 80 games? How much of the missed games are due to an overly cautious franchise who lets him throw down 360 windmills in warmups, then deems him not ready to play the same night? As a franchise, what do you do? Do you move on? When do you move on? How much do you trust him when you've seen what you can be with him, but also seen that you can rarely be with him? The number two option, Brandon Ingram, has the talent to be your number one guy on offense, but is only slightly less injury prone. Talk about taking the good with the bad. Last season was his best offensively and also the most games he's missed in a season in a career that's been all about missing games. Even when he's healthy and playing at his best, doesn't he leave you wanting more? It could just be because he's always got this expression on his face, like he's being forced to listen to CJ McCollum's podcast. Speaking of CJ, he's exhibit A for Zion and Ingram, when people complain about them not playing through injuries. This man played hurt most of last season, and what was the thanks he got? Everyone told him how much he's stunk as a result. Trey Murphy has upheld a long-standing Pelicans tradition by celebrating his breakthrough season last year by starting this year with a knee injury. Oh, would you look at that? So did Jose Alvarado. Hey, let's add Najee Marshall to the list while we're at it. Herb Jones graduated from the Derek McKee School of long athletic defenders who can't play offense. Dyson Daniels is Lonzo Ball if he traded talent for good knees and a quieter dad is he the best pure point guard on this team or is it kyra lewis maybe it's alvarado the fact that those are the options says all that needs to be said about their point guard situation arena naming rights are always pretty dumb but smoothie king center i mean what are we doing all right anyways what are the results of the pelicans eye test can they see the 2024 NBA title. No, but it's not even really a vision problem per se, more like an eye injury, maybe an illness, pink eye, probably related to Zion's off-court activities. Go get you some prescription eye drops. This team makes me mad, not just because they're the hardest to figure out, health, Zion and Zion's health could make the difference between them missing the play-in or getting one of the top seeds in the west but also I want them to be great. They're fun to watch. I always pull for South Carolina guys like Zion, even when they're embarrassing. He was the last guy who was super hyped to come into the league before Victor Wimbanyama and live up to the hype when he actually played. I've enjoyed Ingram and Larry Nance Jr. from their Laker days. McCollum's a pros pro. Alvarado made himself into an NBA player just through pure grit. This is a fun, homegrown team with the potential to be a great team, and we keep getting robbed of seeing them. As a basketball fan, that straight up stinks. I'm hoping Zion has gotten a big time wake up call, and also that all of these guys can stay healthy so we can see what they can actually do. It is time to talk about our final Southwest Division team, the San Antonio Spurs. Vegas has set their over under at 28 and a half wins after Greg Popovich led them to perhaps the greatest 22 win season of all time last year. How is that possible you ask? Well, let's talk about what I love about the Spurs starting with Victor Wimbenyama. The Spurs have been one of the most successful professional sports franchises of my lifetime, due in large part to their ability to draft really well and their incredible luck the few times they are bad enough to be a lottery team. The three times they've won the lottery have led to MVP and Hall of Fame center David Robinson, MVP and arguably the greatest power forward ever in Tim Duncan, and now Victor Wimbanyama, the most hyped draft prospect since lebron i really don't know how to describe him adequately after watching him in summer league and the preseason but i'll try seven foot four with the wingspan of a pterodactyl that allows him to dunk on you even if you've pushed him outside of the charge circle it also means he's never out of position defensively even when it looks like he is both to me and the person shooting the ball who then has to retrieve it from the second row On offense, if you send a double team, he simply passes over the top of it. How many men in the history of the world would even be able to contest his jump shot? They also have him attacking off of dribble handoffs like a guard. What do you do with that? The question right now is how slowly they'll try to bring him along. But if the preseason is any indicator, he'll certainly have plenty of opportunities to win this year's rookie of the year award. Is there a better environment or organization to develop a potential young superstar? They're the anti-Houston Rockets. Coach Popovich is one of the greatest coaches of all time. The Spurs haven't been good recently, but that's more by design to have a shot to get Wimby and because they've lagged high-level talent, but Pop is still that dude. The toughest thing for coaches to do is go away from the stuff that they're comfortable doing and adapt what they're doing to their personnel. Phil Jackson would show up with Tex Winter riding shotgun, and you were going to get this triangle offense no matter what. Pop is so special because he's been able to win so many different ways. In the 2000s, you think of the Spurs as Tim Duncan's team, but how often was Tim the focus of the offense? The first two rings, it was unquestioned. By the third title, it was still Tim first, but you had Manu and Tony Parker there getting plenty of touches, so the offense looked different, more free-flowing, and by the fourth ring, Tony Parker was the number one option. By the last one, it was very much a spread-the-wealth offense where you were just as likely to see Tim score as you were to see a young Kawhi or Danny Green. Tim remained the defensive anchor, which allowed for a lot of stability there and certainly made life easier. But just think about the many different incarnations of what the Spurs offense has looked like under Coach Pop. That's a testament to how great of a coach he is. Now the hype is all surrounding Wimby, and we as a nation haven't cared about the Spurs in years, but they've actually been quietly developing talent here this whole time. Keldon Johnson was a 22, five and three guy last year despite a down year shooting from three. I'm willing to bet that even if his numbers go down his efficiency shoots up the further he gets away from having to be the number one guy on offense. Devin Vassell just signed a pretty nice contract extension which should tell you what they think about him as a player. It also tells you what they think about the knee issue that limited him to 32 games last year. There was probably a little bit of extra motivation for them to hold him back and be careful knowing that they had a giant Frenchman in their sights. Vassell's a great shooter both from three and off of pull-ups and I'm they see him as the long-term number two option and i think kelden would be a great number three on a contender so that works out okay this is way too much praise for a team that was so bad last year let's move on to the hate the rest of the roster is filled with players who are almost certainly made up charles bassey malachi branham Brent Wesley, you expect me to believe these are real people? What's the deal with Jeremy Sohan doing this weird Dennis Rodman cosplay? It'd be weird anywhere, but it feels especially weird here since I can't imagine Spurs fans have fond memories of Dennis. What is he doing? Also, if you feel compelled to do it, then I can understand trying to get under other players' skin and wearing number 10 and dyeing your hair, but did you have to copy Dennis's lack of offense too? Can we have a serious talk about something? Tim Duncan is the greatest power forward in the history of the game in my opinion, but overrated on people's all time lists. He's a hipster ass pick by people who wanna show you that they're basketball geniuses. Kobe and Hakeem were better basketball players. It is what it is. It's impressive that Tim was able to have the longevity he had and still be effective as he was at the end. But if you're taking basketball players based on the impact they have on the game, you're taking Kobe and Hakeem over Tim every single time. I prefer guys who can take over offensively and you can count on one hand, the number of guys in the history of the game that could take over a game like Kobe Bryant. Even if I were to concede Duncan was a better defender, the offensive gap between the two is too much to overcome. The Hakeem argument is even more obvious to me since they played similar positions. Who you prefer as a defender is a matter of preference, although I'm taking Hakeem, and Hakeem was way more of an offensive threat. If you trade them out for each other, do the Spurs win less with Hakeem? Absolutely not, they might even win more. Now picture Tim doing what Hakeem did in 95. If you can, you have a much better imagination than I do. Now I know you're mad and you wanna argue, but why? I'm right, and Tim doesn't care. He's sitting at home right now in a flannel button-up shirt wearing bootcut jeans playing World of Warcraft, content that I've given him my prestigious greatest power forward ever label. Okay, now that that's settled, let's talk about the results of the Spurs eye test. We all know good and damn well they can't see a title this year. The good news is they're not really as blind as they seem. They're just pretending like Stevie Wonder. Now that they've gotten the big prize in Big Vic, I imagine their vision starts improving miraculously. They're going to need a couple of years to adjust to the light though after holding their eyes closed for so long, but that's okay. They appear to have a solid foundation for another dynasty in the making, and we should all just enjoy seeing NBA players react to Vic for the first time because they're just as bewildered as the rest of us. I bet they actually try to get this thing rolling sooner rather than later because Pop isn't getting any younger. I think they actually win 35 games this year as Wimby takes home the rookie of the year so congratulations and that will do it for my southwest division preview don't forget to check out my other previews thank you for watching liking rating subscribing reviewing and sharing and i will catch y'all later